I really like passing the peace at Trinity because you guys get into it, and it's like you feel like the whole service could be spent just uh, greeting each other and loving on each other, and that's what church ought to be, so thank you for that. Um, title of my talk today is called Strength for the Journey. Again, I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're really digging in to prayer. Um, we're looking at what strength does God have for us when life gets hard and how do we access it so that that strength that is in him comes into us and helps us with the things day to day that are going on in our lives. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I relate to this story. I saw uh, it was quite a while back, but it was so, uh, it captured a hard day so well. I kept it in my file. I want to share it with you. It's from a construction worker. Uh, it was his request for sick leave, but it was so priceless it got uh, sent to the editor of the newspaper. And here's what the construction worker wrote in. When I got to the building that morning, I found that the hurricane had knocked some bricks off from around the top. So I rigged up a beam with a pulley at the top of the building and hoisted up a couple barrels full of bricks. When I had fixed the damaged area, there were a lot of bricks left over. Then I went to the bottom and began releasing the line. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier than I was. And before I knew what was happening, the barrel of bricks started coming down, jerking me up. I decided to hang on, since I was too far off the ground by then to jump. Halfway up, I met the barrel of bricks coming down fast. I received a hard blow on my shoulder. Then I continued to the top, banging my head against the beam and getting my fingers pinched and jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground hard, it burst its bottom, allowing the bricks to spill out. I was now heavier than the barrel. So I started coming down at high speed. Halfway down, I met the barrel coming up fast and received severe injuries to my shins. When I hit the ground, I landed on the pile of spilled bricks, getting several painful cuts and deep bruises. At this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of my hold on the rope and the barrel started coming down fast, giving me another blow on my head and putting me in the hospital. I respectfully request sick leave. Anybody ever had a day like that? And maybe, maybe not the bricks, maybe not the barrels, but the general flow of things. Yep, we've had it. And when it happens, you kind of feel singled out, like maybe it's just me. But the reality is, it's universal. Everybody faces days like that. Jesus faced days like that. And even if it's not barrels of bricks and getting pummeled physically, a lot of times it's just the sheer number of things that we are having to deal with in a day and in a week. And you wonder, how am I going to keep doing this? How am I going to find the power and the strength that I need? We're going to read about a story in Jesus' life when you see how he found the strength that he needed, and it lays out a path that normal people can follow. It wasn't a path reserved for the Son of God exclusively, but he models it for the rest of us. And I want to read it from Mark 1, starting at verse 21. The words will be on the screen, but if you want to open a Bible or your uh, smartphone, 
It's Mark 1, 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. and When they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So Jesus is in this little town on the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. How many of you have been to the Holy Lands? I see a few hands out there. This is a little village on the very northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, still today not very populated, but it was where Jesus spent a lot of his time. He kind of headquartered in Galilee out of Capernaum. He found a number of his disciples from that city. Peter, James, John, Simon, uh, excuse me, um, Andrew were all from Capernaum and probably some others were uh, from very close to there. And this particular day he went into the synagogue in Capernaum to preach. And he's up preaching the good news and as he's preaching, a man who's possessed by a demon stands up and starts shrieking at Jesus saying, we know who you are, have you come to to torture us or whatnot, and Jesus casts the demon out of the man, sets him free. Don't imagine Hollywood when you hear this, of people with their heads spinning around. Imagine somebody who, by whatever process, has gotten to a place where they no longer hold the steering wheel in their own life, but the influence of the devil has gotten so big that they don't steer their lives anymore. Their, their lives are being steered by someone who only wants to harm them, and Jesus set that man free from all of that. And the man entered a new, new life. And so Jesus preached words of life. He actually ministered life to a man who had completely lost all control. His life was completely under control of darkness. And Jesus did all that work in the church service that morning. Now, preachers are generally pretty pooped after just preaching a sermon. I'll go home, I'll be tired this afternoon. We put everything we've got into it. Um, most preachers either take Mondays or Fridays off, 
People who take Mondays off say, you know, it's going to be my tiredest day of the week because I just laid everything out on Sunday and I want to rest. Mary Graves takes Mondays off. About 50% of us take Fridays off. As a friend of mine said about Mondays, say, ain't no way I'm going to feel that bad on my time. So we just go (laughs) go in on Mondays and scoot a little paper around the desk and speak monosyllabic words and grunt until we can kind of reconstitute. But Jesus came straight out of that service where he preached a sermon, where he cast a demon out. He goes to have lunch at Peter's home, and Peter's mother is sick. And Jesus goes over and he lifts her up and the fever leaves the woman. And she's able to prepare the meal for her. Far from being in a sick bed, she hops up, feels great, starts cooking the dinner. And surely now, Jesus can get a little rest. But no. What Jesus has done in terms of healing and preaching and casting out demonic influence, has, the word is spread and so people line up outside of, people's, of Peter's home until long into the night, people who are sick people who are under demonic influence, people who need a touch from Jesus. They line up till late in the night, and Jesus goes on continuing to do these good works that God had appointed him to do. And you wonder, how in the world did he keep doing that? This was not a one-off occurrence in Jesus' life. This was was what his days were filled with. Um, In Acts 10, verse 38, it says, Jesus went about doing good and healing those long oppressed by the devil. That was a description of his average day. But he got up day in and day out and was able to do that again and again. How? How? What gave him strength for his journey? And what can we learn from him that will give us strength for our journey? I think the secret is in the last verses of the passage that we read. And I'm going to read them again from verse 35. Very early the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I see three things in that passage, in that paragraph, that I want to pull out for us to look at. And the three things are this. Jesus got up early in the morning and he went out to pray. First thing, he got up early in the morning and went out to pray. Secondly, after he prayed, he knew what he needed to do. After he prayed, he knew what he needed to do. And third, after praying, he had the power to go out and do it. So first, he got up early and he went out and prayed. Secondly, after praying, he knew what he was supposed to do. And thirdly, after praying, he had the power to go out and do what he knew he was supposed to do. And I want to look at those each one by one, um, starting with Jesus got up early in the morning and he went out to pray. This is a line, if you read the New Testament carefully, it's very easy to miss it, but it occurs again and again and again. In Jesus' life, you know, the things we remember are the miracles, the parables, and all of that. But there's these little sentences, almost so innocuous you miss them. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Jesus got up early, and he went out, and he prayed to his Father. You see that line occur again and again 
in the Bible. Jesus had this life alone with God that seemed to fuel and direct what he did in the public time. So he had a life alone with God that gave him what he needed for his public life, where he preached, where he healed, where he loved and included those who were marginalized and cast out. Jesus did all of those things, but he had this life alone with God that fueled him to do the public things that he did. What jumps out to me as I read that is Jesus was the Son of God. He had in himself things I can't even imagine. And yet, even Jesus, when he wore one of these, a body, a physical body like you and I have, even Jesus had to have a life alone with God where he would pray, where he would get from God what he needed to live the life God had called him to. And as I read that and say, if God in the flesh needed time alone with God to live a godly life, what about me? What about the likes of me who, am just a, who are just a flesh and blood person like you? How much more do I need that if I'm going to live for God? How much more do you need that if you're going to live for God with all the the movement and all the activity of the guy who gets whacked by the barrel. I mean, that's our, that's our days. How are we going to stay on track with living for God, knowing what he wants us to do and having the power to actually live it out? I think it's by doing the same thing Jesus did. Would, would that it were said of me, Ben often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And it would actually make sense why Ben may be able to live for Jesus some days. Better than others, some days worse than others, but he was able to live for Jesus. What would that it were said of you? You were often withdrew. You had a life alone with God that fueled what you were able to do in the rest of your life. I think that's Jesus' secret, and I think that's what he's calling us to. John 15, 5 Jesus says this, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In essence, Jesus is saying, you need a life that is connected to me in the same way that a branch has to be connected to a vine. It's, it's not um, you get... Uh, a dose of Jesus on Sunday and it's supposed to last you till the next it's supposed to last you a full seven days it's Sunday and Monday and Tuesday we're to connect with Jesus so that the life that's in him is flowing into us and we are getting from him what we need to live it out Jesus never said I want you to go out and live for me he said I want you to go out and live with me. Let's do this together. With us abiding in him, connecting to him, his life flowing into us, and we're living this life together. My hope for this morning is not only to paint a picture of why that's important, but towards the end of this message, I want to actually help you make a plan for you that fits your life so you actually can do it. So that's where we're headed. But let me go to number the second thing that jumped out after, to me out of that uh, paragraph. This was after Jesus prayed, he knew what to do. Jesus finished praying, 
Peter runs up to him and says, Jesus, what are you doing? All the people want you back down in the village. Come on back down. And Jesus said, no, Peter, that's not what I'm supposed to do. I need to go to the next villages because that's what God sent me to do. Now, apart from prayer, if it had been me, I probably would have said, here's a village that loves me. They will eat up everything I bring. They were stacked up outside my room last night. I don't have those nasty Pharisees who are trying to kill me all the time. I am going to camp out here. I can be a rock star in this village. And anybody who wants to see me comes here. But Jesus had spent time with God. And he, he came down out of that time and he said, No, Peter, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go from village to village. And I'm going to do for them what I've done for this village. Jesus came back from his alone time with God and he knew what he was supposed to do. Do you ever feel like you are facing situations in your life where you do not have the wisdom to know what you're supposed to do? Or you're facing situations where you feel like the consequences of making a bad call on this are so high, I'm scared to even make a decision. I really don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't have the wisdom Jesus laid down a pattern for us of going to God with those things and of God directing our steps. Often I've prayed about something. Uh, no, let me, say, let me say it more accurately. Often I think I've prayed about something, and when I look back, all I've really done is worried about it. You know, and I think if I've worried about it, I've prayed about it. But then I go back and say, but Ben, have you actually gone to God with that and said, God, here's the situation. I can't handle it, or I don't have the wisdom. I give it over to you, and I want you to speak into my life. I want you to, to direct me. Um, I'm a person who really struggles with anxiety. That is my, my personality tends in that direction. Um, I will get all overcome with that stuff unless I get into God's presence, and I hear from Him, and, it, and my spirit settles, and I come out, and instead of being wild-eyed, worried about stuff, I'm like, okay, we can do this. Sometimes because God, God has given me direction. And I went into prayer, and that thing that was confusing, there's a big confusing knot of I don't know where to go, untangles itself in God's presence. Other times it doesn't untangle itself, but I come back knowing that God has said, you know what, I'm going to be with you. You don't need to control it or understand it or untangle that knot today. You just need to know I'm with you. And my spirit is okay after that. Okay, God, I'm, I can't untangle this, but you can, and you've told me you'll be with me. So first, Jesus got up early, and he went to pray. He needed that. He had an alone life with God that fueled his public life. Secondly, when he came back from his time with God, he knew what to do. He wasn't just wandering and confused. And thirdly, after praying, he had the power from God to actually carry it out to carry out what he needed to do. Jesus got up from that place and he did travel around Galilee. Oftentimes he did go into hornet's nests where the people who were there really did not like him at all. They wanted him dead. And he did it for three years. And what is amazing to me is Jesus never burned out doing what he was doing. You know, that pattern of, of getting up, starting early, going all day and sometimes into the night, that was not uncommon for Jesus. But you get, as you read through the New Testament, you don't get 
to later years in his life, you know, he ministered for three years. You don't get into year two or year three and see Jesus saying, you think you're sick, you ought to hear about the day I've had. You know, he doesn't do that. Later in his life, even coming into Jerusalem to be crucified, he, he, he sees somebody who's in need and he stops and he pays attention to him because he was able to take into himself from God enough power to sustain him. He didn't burn out. He didn't flame out. He didn't become cynical or hardened to any of it because he was continually taking into himself what God knew he needed. There's a pastor in Chicago who got totally burned out. Uh, story isn't, isn't um, I don't tell it because he's a pastor. I just tell it because he's a human being. But in this case, the guy did happen to be a pastor. He was burned out. He wanted to quit. He was done. And he talked to a friend, and the friend said, you know, there's a Catholic sister in town and her ministry, what she specializes in, is helping people in the helping professions who are burned out and want to quit. Why don't you go talk to her? And so she, he went to talk to this Catholic sister and, and said, Sister, this is where I'm at. I am so, somebody just needs to stick a fork in me. I am done. I am completely burned out. And she said, I want you to tell me the first word that comes into your mind when you think about how you feel and you think about your situation. And he said, violated. Because everybody in my world, in my public world, they come to me for what they need. They take what they need and they don't give anything back to me. And I'm just, I'm empty. And she said, you know, I want you to think about a different word. Instead of violated, I want to give you a picture. You remember those old-timey water pumps? Like you saw in the cowboy shows where they, you, you pick up the handle and you do like this and it draws water up out of the well. She says, I think... The people in your, in your church, they, they come and they grab the handle and, and they look for water. That's, that's the job you signed up for is to help people find water. But she said, I don't think your source pipe is going down deep enough into Jesus. She said, you're pumping out groundwater and you keep running out again and again. She said, you need to find a way to sink the source pipe of your life down deeper, deeper, deeper into Jesus so that you don't run out so fast. She said, you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You need a life alone with God. Or you're going to continue to run out as people grab that handle. And she saved his life in ministry. She saved his life because he realized, you know what? Nothing's broken except I am not getting, I am not drawing out from Jesus enough to keep up with the life I've been called to live. I asked Bill uh, to include in our service, and he did, that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, which we're going to sing right after the, the message. But the reason I asked him is because there's one line in there that probably more than any line in any hymn comes back to me again and again and again, and it's this. It says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And it's so simple, it's almost a child's rhyme, but it's so profound. I'm 50 years old, and I cannot get that out of my head because so much of the pain and suffering that I go through that would dissipate if I was more consistent in this life alone with, you, in life alone with God that Jesus modeled because I get the strength, I get the direction that I need there. A friend of mine in college who knew my tendency towards anxiety, she, she was kind of a smart aleck, and she said, Ben, why pray when you can worry about it? And I'm like, well, thank you very little. But she was right. There's a lot of truth in it. 
that I, those, those were the two options in front of me, given my personality. I could worry and be a knot and an anxious wreck, or I could get into God's presence and have him minister life to me. Uh, it's interesting, when you talk about prayer in a church context, you're talking to people who generally believe it's a good thing. I'm not trying to convince, for the majority of folks in here, I'm not trying to convince you that prayer is a good thing. You already know that. Uh, I was with a group of pastors this week, and, and they gave me some verbiage around that kind of idea that I had not heard before, and it was helpful to me. I think it may be helpful here. But they, these pastors were talking about an actual value and a preferred value. A preferred value is something that I believe is a good thing. I prefer it, but I don't do it. An actual value is something I believe is a good thing, and so I do it. I think for many of us who try to follow Christ, prayer is a preferred value rather than an actual one. You know, if we go back and look and say, yeah, of course I believe in prayer, but have I built it into my life the way Jesus built it into his. So it's, kind of, it's not a, a one-off. It's not an occasional thing I do when somebody is in crisis. But this is, this is a habit. This is, this is a defining habit of my life that I go to God, I give over to him what is burdensome to me. I get from him what is life-giving, and I live out of that. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said this. He said, sow a thought, sow, S-O-W, um, just as an old-timey word for plant, like a farmer plants a seed. He said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. You know, when prayer becomes a habit, a defining habit, it begins to shape my character it begins to lead me into a destiny with God that's it's different. My road diverges on this one, and life flows into me. Having said that, we are in church. It's, a preferred, a preferred, it's not bad that it's a preferred value. It just We want to make a, our preferred value of prayer an actual value that we live out. And so what I want you to do is I think, does, does the pew have a little sheet of paper in it, like an attendance card or anything in there that you could take out? Maybe an envelope or anything like that. It does? I want everybody to take one out and get a pen or a pencil. Yes, if you would take one out, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. What I'm going to ask you to do is make a plan of how you would pray, and I'm going to walk you through how you would do that. I'm not even asking you to commit that you're going to do it tomorrow. Because some of you might say, you know what, I'm ready to do this. Some of you might say, you know what, it doesn't seem right but for me yet to start that habit. But you're going to have a plan that you can put in your Bible or in your purse or in your wallet so that when the time is right, you're not going to say, hey, you had me at hello, but I don't know what to do. Um, you're going to know, you're going to have a plan made out that actually works for your life. And the first thing I want on your plan is if you're going to give God five or ten minutes, five or ten minutes a day, when would you do it? Are you a morning person? Are you a night person? Are you neither? Where you say, you know what, if I'm going to give God five or ten minutes, it should be during my lunch break. 
or on my way to work, I need to just pull the car over for a little bit, you know, when I'm out on the 280 and it's kind of pretty and I know a, an exit I can pull off and I can be somewhere. But if, if you were going to give God five or ten minutes, when would you do it? So it's kind of the logistic. Where would you be? Would you do it in your house? Um, my wife oftentimes, you know, we've got three young kids. Our house is not the place that's so conducive for her for reflective meditation. So she'll get in our car and she'll drive up onto Edgewood Road and she's got a place she pulls off and that's, would you do it with a cup of coffee? Um, if it's in the morning, what chair would you sit in? But just from a logistics point of view, if you were going to do this, where would it be? And when would it be? Um, and I'm not going to ask you to think of an hour or anything like that. I mean, I, I, uh, I went out and did a new workout of, uh, about three weeks ago. I couldn't lift my arms the next day. I, I don't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> the same for five or ten. Five or ten good minutes. And if it's good and you want to add more, go for it. But what, where, when would it be? Where would it be? Would you have music playing? Or would it be quiet? What would work for you? Okay, step two of your plan what is your best way? I want you, let me say the question first, and then you write down what you think is your most uh, honest, authentic answer. What is your best way to hear from God? For some people, their best way, it's to, it's to read a section of the Bible, and God speaks to them out of that. Some people, it's to just sit quietly and just still their hearts and see what God impresses some people, it's, um, they read a devotion of some kind. You know, I, I used to be huge into reading the Bible. For, mi for years and years, I did that. After I had my bike accident, there's a stretch of like two years where I, it was too much mental energy to just start with a, a section of four chapters of the Bible to have to do all the spade work to dig it out. And I said, you know, for this season, I want to read a devotion where somebody's kind of thought about it and given it to me. Or is it to listen to something, like a podcast or something? What's your best way to hear from God? Because in these, this life alone with God, you want something where you're talking to God and you want something where you're hearing from Him. What do you think for you is your best way to hear from Him? So write down what you think it would be. If you think it's to read the Bible or a devotional or a podcast, or something like that, and you don't know where to, maybe you, you say, yep, and I know exactly, I, I, I know exactly where to go to get that, but you might say, yeah, I think it would be reading the Bible, but I don't have any plan for that. I'll guarantee you Mary Graves could give you that. Um, if you just say, Mary, Pastor Mary, I want to do this, but I need a little bit of help. I don't know quite where, what devotional I might use. She would know 10 of them to give you. And then third thing is, What's going to be your best way to talk to God? Because it's two-way two communication. It's you getting, hearing from God. It's you speaking to God. Is it to pray things from your heart? And just in, the, in silence, just to be praying, that, praying things. Uh, for me, I'm a big journaler. You know, that's kind of how my prayers come out best. It's with a pencil and a piece of paper. And what I need to say to God is, Somebody said, thoughts disentangle themselves as they flow through the head of a pen. Maybe you're like that. Or maybe you are a person who 
has some other way. Some, some people pray out loud. Some people pray silently. But what would be your best way to talk to God? And then the last, the last thing is, what would be your goal for when you would do this? Not, I'm not talking about time of day, but do you think you could do it three times a week? You think, I mean, there's probably some days, and there's some days in my life at different stages where, I, man, I'm get, I have to be up and out of the house by 5.30. There's not really a slot to do it. So I, I kind of make a plan that's realistic with my life of, or, you know what, I've never done this before in my whole life, Ben. I'm going to try and do this on Sunday mornings before I come to church. I'm, that's just going to be my start. Or, you know what, I think I could do this three times a week or six times a week or I want to do it, whatever. But what I want you to do is to take that, and you've got the beginnings of a plan there. For some of you, you'll start it before the day's over. For others of you, you may say, for whatever reason, it's not, I'm not ready to pull the trigger on that. Keep that plan, because when you are ready to pull the trigger, you just pull it out, and you're ready to go. Um, I have a uh, little device on my computer, uh, on my bike, a little bike computer called a Garmin, and it tracks. I, I enjoy riding bikes. It tracks my ride. Every six seconds, it connects to these satellites, and every six seconds, it sends up a little ping, to see where I am, and it just does a little geometry problem. It says, six seconds ago you were here, now six seconds later you're here, so you must be going uh, this miles per hour, and it also figures out are you higher or lower, so it you know, can figure out the little triangle with the geometry and say, and so you must be going uphill or downhill, and it gives me that information. One of my uh, favorite rides is a ride called Tunitas Creek Road, comes up from the coast over back here, but it's so heavily canopied with trees, and the road's kind of carved out of a hillside where at certain times of year, the canopy and the hillside are so uh, dense, it can't get up to the satellite. And when I'm riding uh, in that time of the year, my miles per hour and everything on, on the little screen drops down to zero because it can't tell that I'm moving at all. And you go along two or three minutes, and it's zero, and then it's able to connect again with the satellite, and it tries to do its little six-second calculation on a three-minute gap, and it says you're going 192 miles an hour, and you're actually inverted, and it's, you know, it gets really confused. Um, and my, the thing that that ta reminded me of is how often am I pinging God? You know, am I doing it on that, on that short interval where he and I are living that life alone and I'm hearing from him frequently? Or am I doing it only so infrequently that my gauges are confused a lot of the time and I'm not quite sure what God would have for me, but to scoot them close enough together that the way Jesus got his life from God, you and I can too. Let's pray.